was lost, the treaty signed, I was not caught across the line, I was not caught, though many tried, I live among you, well disguised, I had to leave my life behind, I dug some graves you'll never find. The story's told with facts and lies. I had a name, but never mind. Hello, and welcome to Tuesdays with Noah and Gav. My name is Noah. And my name is Gav. <laughs> and we're the Blanchard Brothers. Merry Christmas, everybody. This year it's the Christmas present no one asked for. I'm not going to... I could not do a Leonard Cohen impression to save my life. Um, yeah, so Merry Christmas. Dropping this on the holiday. Hopefully the fat man I mean, was good to you. What better way to celebrate the holiday season than to talk about one of the most critically derided and divisive seasons of television in recent memory? This decade. For sure. Definitely a gift nobody asked for. Mm-hmm. But Gavin, you know, it's Noah and Gav. So mm. now you're you're gonna take the reins on this one. I am, and then maybe we just like trade off hosting duties for like each episode of season three. That would be dope. Like you lead on one, and yeah, yeah. I mean, you got two detectives every season, except for this season you got three. So and maybe season three you have more, which I don't really know if you want to count Woodrow as a detective because he's just a highway cop. But we'll get into that. Woodrow, um, Woodrow, 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 Woodrow. We'll the way Farrell pronounces his name, I thought it was Woodrow for the longest time. It's Well, we can get into that, too. Okay. Yeah. It, by all means, take the reins. Okay. But, yeah, Merry Christmas to everybody. This is how we decided to celebrate it. Spoiler yeah. alert, it's not actually Christmas. Um, it's a few days before. But Truesdays lives again. I know we said, you know, two weeks ago that it was going to be, oh, it'll be next Monday. But then it was like, or next Tuesday. What am I saying? Um, and then it was like, wait, Christmas is on a Tuesday this year, so why don't we just save it? Because otherwise we would have had nothing ready to go. Exactly. Okay. So it works out perfectly. So, where do you want to start? I I want to say, I don't think I mentioned it on the first episode, I caught this first, went back and watched season one, and then I came back to this. But I had watched it at the gym on my phone and that's how I came across. That's how I ran through it the first time. And I, arguably not the case. Uh, that's back when I still went to the gym before I kept started coming down here all the time and, and recording podcasts. So that's definitely a New Year's resolution. Not to watch more stuff in the gym, but just to actually get back to it. Um, so I probably am one of the lone people who completely understand and dig this season. Like, And it's only gotten better watching it the second time around on HBO Go now, whatever you have, and getting to like sit with it again and understand more of the backstory of where people are at, understanding the dialogue, what it was trying to do. And I've wanted you to, to I think I told you to just think about it in terms of like who doesn't belong here in this story, who, who just shouldn't be here. That, and I wanted to talk about the masculinity or toxic masculinity if you will of our main protagonist including um rachel <clears throat> rachel mcadams um Bezerides. so in doing so i want to go ahead and ask you of the four 
who do you think is the true detective or like the the best of the four or the, excuse me the three we're not going to include Vince Vaughn we're not including Vince Vaughn in terms of like a true detective could you argue he is though he's trying to figure out who killed Stan I don't even know who the fuck Stan is. I was going to say he gets more detective work done. Than most of them, than yeah. most of our So, detectives. you know what? Fuck it. We'll throw him in here. Okay. Who do you think is the best true detective in this season? Someone who's not true to themselves. It's Wood True. Yes. Just from a pure, like, he does the legwork. He does the paperwork. He, <laughs> contracts, signatures all, all over him. <laughs> Still, the... We can get into the dialogue. Don't worry. I Okay, I'll say up front, this was my second time through. Yeah. Um, and I think when it was airing, like, I probably watched a couple episodes, like, multiple times in the intervening weeks while I was waiting for the new episode. But this was my first time going through in a binge. I watched it basically over the course of three nights, I think. I knocked it out. Mm-hmm. Three nights, or two nights in a morning, actually. And I think it plays way better in a binge. And a lot of my issues with yeah. it the first time around, which I still enjoyed it overall, but a lot of my issues, I was like, I mean, I told you off mic, and I'll say it to you again here, like, it, by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, oh my god, I watched all of this too quickly, because like, we're too far away from season three, and like, I just kind of want this, I wanted it to keep going, I got really sad when it was like, when I was wrapping it up again, and I was like, I kind of had some of those feelings, but they were mixed in with like, was it more unsatisfying than season one and like all sorts of other stuff at the time. But overall I was like, well, I, I like this to begin with. So hopefully it plays better and it's only grown in my esteem. And yeah, I, I hope people that maybe wrote it off will consider going back and watching it in a binge. And maybe people did that the first time around, like, cause I know the numbers like, kind of steeply dropped off and there's probably people who like okay i'm just gonna wait for this thing to finish and then Catch see up. what people say and then i feel like a lot of people probably never watched it because it seemed in general everybody was pretty down on it so yeah. um okay but yeah i say i say woodrow because you really just the whole case is so like background and secondary yeah to everything that a lot of it does happen off screen but we do see him doing like i said more actual detective work than any of the other counterparts mm-hmm. i mean bezzeridis multiple times kind of like screws she, up ops and she delegates um, because they put her in charge absolutely but like we open with her them busting the uh the uh, like webcam yeah stuff that's going on and her finding her sister and everything but it's like that was a legal op they had you know they had everything that they needed in terms of paperwork and everything and so she screwed up yeah and then she screws up in kind of a big way in the uh bohemian grove s sequence no we'll yeah too well we can save that that's kind of the I feel like more so than the bus shootout in this, which is your logical, like, okay, I want to make this the counterpart to uh, episode four, where it occurs in season one, mm-hmm. and the uh, the whole escape uh, from the projects. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I feel like that's more of the, the sequence that I remember from this and was most excited to get back to because I was like, oh, you had that late in the season mm-hmm. uh, 
whereas season one, after that kind of like huge climactic thing, you do have the Reggie Ledoux, how all of that plays out in episode five, and then it kind of, you know, it tapers to the into, end. I mean, it gets deep into the characters, but the mystery kind of like goes a little to the background while we delve into them a little bit more. That's when you get into all the like the love triangle, if you can call it that. Yeah. Uh, anyways. But yeah, season two, as the inverse, I think, you know, builds more to a climax, but is also like, it's so depressing, dude. I yeah, was so bummed really out and it, and it, uh, when I got to the end of this. And it rushes everything again. really quickly because I didn't realize in watching that like, because I don't know, I didn't, I don't, I didn't think that it took a break because I mean, it's only eight episodes, but moving from four to five in this, from the big shootout to the end, it's like. So much has transpired in the interim that it's like five almost feels like a, a a catch up show, but then like it's done really quick, and you're like, okay, wait a minute, they were doing this, now they're doing that, yeah, and it, it gets so convoluted. Like, after that shootout and everything, where you are like, oh, well, in season one, this was the point that like flipped the whole investigation and changed everything, and here, it's like, okay, it's that they're getting sent off the trail. They didn't get their man, supposedly. Yeah. How are they going to get roped back into it? But it all happens kind of in the course of one episode, well, and, and it doesn't yeah. feel like so that much time has passed. We can take it yeah. back and basically... I, I think this one honestly could have been... I've got some like overall structural things and thoughts on how to like make this... I think just through editing, make this a much stronger season. Mm-hmm. And it's one of two things. You could go either shorter with it down to six episodes, or you could go longer with it up to 10. But I, I guess I'll go ahead and lay it on you here. Cause I don't know when it's going to contextually come up. We're talking about Woodrow. Was that the answer you were hoping? Yeah. To I just, yeah. I mean, that's, he's mine and we, but before you get into what you do, essentially I'll, I'll do the plot real quick. So you have okay, a murder sure. of a city, yes. city, city planner, city engineer, Ben Casper found on the highway by our detective Woodrow. And, in the first episode, and we've already pulled in Ravel Coro, we pulled in Annie or uh, Antigone Bezaridis, mm-hmm. and here we have Woodrow. So we're all introduced to these three characters, and we're introduced to Vince Vaughn, who is a um, not aging, but a, a he's getting up there. He's a mobster. He's a team. You know, he's he's been at it for a while. He's at it for a while. He's looking to go legit, looking to get out of the game, um, which I always. I, I always love that they do these and things like this guy wants to get out. I don't, I don't know too many where it's like, why don't we, why do we not have somebody who wants to get in? Like, that's why I love Narcos is because it's like, this guy wants to get into this. This is what he wants to do. There's no like, uh-huh. oh, I'm done. I want to get out. It's, I, I like the shows where it's like, this dude's trying to break into the market. Not, ah, I've, I've done my thing. I'm going to get out of here. Cause we all know what happens. You can never get out. But so there's murder of the city engineer and we find out that it has far reaching implications for the main four. Mm-hmm. In so much as they are, the three cops are all pulled together from their different respective divisions and, and jurisdictions and basically form a task force to find out who killed this guy and where certain things are that he had. Because the overall big thing, which will play into my wrap up that I want to talk about, is that there is a railway line that is going to be built in California. And there are certain parcels of land that if people own, whether they're a group of people, conglomerate, or just one person, will more than likely be bought up by the government for land deals. And basically the money would be endless. 
Vince Vaughn says it's the kind of money where you build a dynasty and the grandkids have no idea where it came from because it's just so much money with all these contracts. And so everybody on on the side of the law and on the other side of the law has a stake in figuring out what happened to Ben Casper. And that's so strong for the first half of the episode four. But then after episode four, we discover that, okay, maybe everything isn't what we think. Maybe, you know, it was, you know, we were really quick to get these guys and we said, okay, this dude is the one who actually did it. And like season one, no, there's still another angle to it. There's power play moves being involved. Frank's getting pushed out by the Russians. People are making deals. And from there, we get to the eventual end of basically everybody having to come to terms with the idea that the institutions that brought them to where they are are defunct and are no help to them whatsoever Mm -hmm. on every level. Frank with the mob and the empire he's built, the three cops with the law and, you know, where they decided to serve. And we can get into like the different characters and why they're flawed and whatnot. But tell me what you think you would do to switch it up. You can go ahead and get into it now. Okay. This cleans up kind of my biggest issues with the season all in one fell swoop the easiest way to me is that you narrow the focus the easiest way to do that we go back to just having two detectives mm-hmm. you remove Woodrow from the plot Yeah, I just want you to think about it in those terms because I did mention he does a lot of the legwork the behind the scenes stuff but again the case is so background it's not that, supposed to matter exactly and ultimately, the answers, if you will, you know, the crow head and all the interesting stuff that's set up by, like, episode two and, like, who was that, ultimately proves to be, like, connected but not really connected to exactly what was going on. Like, it's all twisted together. But mm-hmm. anyways, it's very peripheral. Yeah. And it gets wrapped up, like, very neatly slash very uncleanly at the same she, time. She says later but, on, she says, Casper's murder blew all this open it was like had he not been murdered as, yes, a, no, as a result it, of his of his past none of this starts as one thing turns matter. into another very much like with with season one or like any coen brothers movie like one thing happens and something happens and then I mean, somewhere somebody's <laughs> unnecessarily dead for no reason whatsoever it doesn't have to happen but it does okay if you remove him here's what i think you do you you essentially at that point you get back to more of what season one is, which is two detectives with opposing dynamics. You keep the whole, you know, she's been told to investigate Velcoro to figure out how compromised he is. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know how to play that with her because we, of course, know that by the end of the season, they become romantically involved. Yeah. And a lot of how the season kind of wraps up hinges on how much you're invested in that turn and their romance which does ultimately work for me but i kind of wish there was a little more legwork to get there Mm -hmm. and if you remove woodrow it gives you more time to build up more scenes in the car you know the shit we like which they have one of those scenes and it's fantastic they each have one i love that part yes but we'd get more of that and then you're telling a kind of interesting parallel story of this relationship that's been going on for a while with Frank and his wife 
because I also feel like Kelly, it's Kelly O'Reilly, I yeah. believe, or Kelly Riley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she gets a little shortchanged just through sheer like you know we only have so much time in an episode where she's kind of just hanging around and she's just there to like act as a conscience for Frank in some cases and kind of like remind him of what their ultimate goals are, et cetera, et cetera. And I think she's great in it, but she's a little underserved for like what she can do as an actress. Oh yeah, definitely. So you can broaden out their relationship because I like those scenes. I like the, the marriage scenes and them like working out their relationship and the fact that it never really gets like super antagonistic. It never gets like violent from his perspective. It's like two adults like working through shit in their marriage. Okay. So you with have some of the most cryptic dialogue. Exactly. Ever. But you have that juxtaposed with like a burgeoning relationship between two fundamentally broken people. And you also get to spend a little bit more time investigating who Bezerides is. And her whole backstory, which I also feel like gets incredibly shortchanged and then becomes a huge deal when we get to the party sequence and how all of that ties together. David Morse could have been used a lot more Mm -hmm. as her dad, like could have had more scenes there. We could have gotten into like flashbacks of her childhood and like that being kind of a, you know, the McConaughey-esque, you know, synesthesia Mm -hmm. visions and stuff and we could have played around with some cool editing and stuff like that, but they didn't go there. Um, also, we shorten up the episode structure. I don't know how you feel about this. I love that whole party sequence so much, mm-hmm. and it is confined to about 15 minutes yeah. of an episode. What if you took the principles of the sequence from season one the single take and you just followed her okay mm-hmm. or have an element of that maybe incorporated into the entire episode is them doing this op trying to get in and out of there them providing support on the outside so we do have cutaways to like you know velcoro and woodrow and what they're doing on the outside all of that I mean, stuff you could play it but as like you they, could have played that a as a like yep. half of an episode or a full episode but yeah i wanted more of that like gliding through this party and like we see some things but some of it's just out of frame like we see some of the people and, that are in charge that have put them in this investigation yes, some of the guys that frank has dealt with as it stands so much of that if i'm not mistaken that's intercut with like frank burning down the um the casinos maybe yes or like starting to wrap things up i don't know but it's in it's 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 definitely like he's, you keep cutting away from the tension mm-hmm. of Bezridis in that moment and I feel like if you had built up her character a bit more with, like, it's referenced constantly and it's there, like, she has issues with sex in general. And, but, I mean, I think prior to that you have her having to go to, like, the um, sexual harassment meeting and everything. Because There's the whole thing with her coworkers. Well, it's like she was, she had was sleeping with a cop who was a subordinate. She slept with her partner one time. And you then, could also get more into Elvis, one of my favorite yeah, supporting performers. He's just there in for the like season. twenty minutes, maybe. And total they have screen a big time. emotional, like cool emotional, not emotional goodbye to each other. Yeah, that still plays. But I'm like, where's the leg more yeah. legwork for that? I like. Yeah, because she could have like, dwelled in all of that. But the easiest fix again is just you remove Paul from it. Because as much as I like Paul as a character, I think Taylor Kitsch is great in the show. Mm-hmm. He also gets very shortchanged. And it's like, 
it is tragic and that like how everything plays out with him total bummer and then you're like hoping you're like you know light versus the darkness man you're hoping like okay things are maybe gonna work out final episode and they do not at all you could blame this entire season you could frame this entire season as at the end of season one when it's i think the light's winning to oh fuck no the dark is definitely winning this season you know and I, I think you're right. You can, I, as much as I wouldn't, I, I mean, because I love Taylor Kitsch's performance in this, you remove him, you flesh out some more stuff with the characters because everything is given to you so quickly that you, for, you, you have to watch it twice to understand what's happening. So you get that, like, they put them all in charge. They have her and Taylor Kitsch go to the mayor's house because they go to the mayor's house unannounced. They meet his son, who will play a bigger role later on. Um... The mayor gets pissed, and he wants, like... See, you say a bigger role, but that's as much dialogue as he has in the entire season. Yeah, but his he but what he figure, does but, is, like, immensely crucial to what happens. Exactly, but that's you what don't I'm ever saying. See and because, there's, because they're juggling four characters... Yeah. ...and trying to provide backstory for all of them, like, to me, Taylor Kitsch still could have been there, but it's like, if they kind of removed some, like the narrative complications of him because like at the end of the day dude what what significance does fucking like black mountain or his military background have on anything other than the fact that he's a badass yeah okay and it adds to like the conflicted male persona and everything because obviously he's gay yeah like i I don't think we're or yeah we're pissed gay yes so i think it's interesting and it's a good performance but I just see this so, is this is where it gets confusing because there's so much of just like who would you would you sub out or whatever, but by trying to focus on all of this, nobody gets kind of their just desserts because I think it's kind of clear the most interesting character to Pizzolatto is Valcora. Oh yeah, obviously, totally. like he just wants the show to be about him, and it's like then why'd you populate it with all this other stuff? And a lot of people have said, like, oh, it was reactions to stuff, notes that he got in season one where it's like, we don't know how to write for female characters. So it's like, well, I'm going to give you, like, a really interesting, dynamic female character in Bezerides. Or, uh, you know, stuff comes off as, like, very, very masculine, like, you know, possibly homophobic. And so you get a a conflicted gay character introduced. And... It seems like Velcoro was the, like, that's the, it, it's like McConaughey even taken even darker. It's yeah. like Rust, like, even more broken. But not Which as smart so, as Rust. Yes, exactly. That's the other thing. Because he like, gets halfway he where gets he, played, he gets like, so, so many, many times, times yeah. over and over again. And, yeah, Ray is this tragic figure because, like, he does seem like he, like, the stuff with him and his son, dude. Dude. Yeah. Still. Even like, the scene. So b- b- with his son, but I know we're all over the place. We are. So, yeah. But when he goes to Fred Ward's house, is it Fred Ward? Yes. No. Yeah, that's him. Remo Williams. Yeah. The adventure, adventure begins. begins. Yeah. And Tremors. And and ends right. Yep. There was no sequel. Oh, dude, prime for a remake. <laughs> I didn't realize this, but when I watched it the second time, I was like, "Oh shit!" His dad like tells him it, what happens in the last episode. I never realized that. I, I, yeah, I caught no, it. I, I understood it, it. But I was like, oh, shit. Like, his dad well, totally knows what's going to happen to him. 
And that's one element I forgot to also cover, okay? That, can we just talk about, like, episode two transitioning into three for a minute? Yeah, sure. So you experienced that episode first before you didn't even see the first episode. No context. You just saw episode two. You see that ending. Okay. I literally watched, the only scene I watched was I walked, I, I flipped over on TV. I watched Farrell walk into a house. I watched him look at some stuff. I watched a guy show up with a crow, shoot him twice, and then stand over, shoot him, and then stand over and shoot him again. And I went out front to my buddy's and I was like, dude, True Detective season two. What is, what is he's like? You didn't see number one, season one with McConaughey. I was like, no. I was like, but that's a bold fucking move, dude. Killing off like the lead star, second episode. Hell yeah. And then when I and you know I didn't see the next episode until I got back. I was like, oh never mind, he's all right. Okay, but I thought that would have been a bold fucking move. Like just get rid of scream it. Get rid of your A list star. Mm-hmm. You know who's giving you pretty good. Up until that point, you know, I'm pretty solid with, like, who he is, his backstory of, like, his wife was raped. Mm-hmm. He went to a friend and n- never find you never find out that 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 Vince Vaughn, like, you know, double crossed him unintentionally. And he goes out as a hero cop. Like, just do do that. And then the whole thing can be about this repressed gay man and this woman trying so to, like. You're saying get rid of El Coro. I'm saying get rid of Woodrow. Well, no, I'm not saying get rid of him. I'm saying, but think of it as, like. You know, oh, you're if if you're telling me that his notes were your your characters are like hyper masculine and you don't really care about gay people and you don't know how to write for women, why don't you kill off the main dude that, like you said, is the rust representative of? I kill that guy off the second episode, so now it's not just about this city guy; it's about this guy, Mm -hmm. and you can find out through Woodrow, the repressed gay cop, and. Resorides, the the feminist, you know, whatever, and, you know, talks about I have to carry knives because the average person's ten times bigger than me. You know, I'm not going to lose a fight, this, this, and that. And the two of them who are the, you know, opposite of what you would think would be your main hero antagonist, they mm-hmm. solve not only Velcoro's murder. Velcoro's murder gets solved by way of linking it to, okay, obviously this guy's the same guy that killed Casper. This is the reason why. Oh, wait a minute. Ray was involved with Frank. Frank was involved with this deal. This deal has far-reaching implications to the highest reaches of the foot of the local government and possibly the state government. Holy shit, we're in over our heads. What are we going to do? Boom. You know? I just... I That would have worked for me. Granted, I love season two. That's what I was going to say. Okay, so I feel like we've definitely talked enough about like what it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Before we transition and actually talk about what it was... The one other thing that my theoretical honing in on would do is allow, I think, a few more moments like that ending of episode two Mm -hmm. transitioning into three because that is the most Lynchian that this shit ever gets is the opening of episode three in the bar. And I love that sequence and I was like, all right, if he's going to be alive... I'm almost okay with it because that opening sequence was so perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so they they sold me on it, and I was like, "This is fantastic." I was like, "More of this shit, more of this like weird, ethereal, maybe supernatural, maybe crossing over to the other side. We don't know. Is it a vision? Is it a dream? More of this stuff, and it's a thread that gets completely dropped." Mm-hmm. immediately dropped except for the fact that he gives him that that piece of information that only ends up being like 
prolific. That's it. It's it's not like a warning statement for him because he still finds himself in the same situation. What are you talking about? That that he you know they they find you in the trees and they cut you down. No, that's when he's alive. When he talks to his dad, taking going to, he doesn't get that in the dream. He when he takes I, he, his dad his weed, he talks to him about that. And his dad said he had a dream about that. That's not in the ethereal thing. What do they talk about in the dream? I have no idea. I really thought that that comes up in the dream. You know, it's when he goes to take him his weed because he gets the metal, his his the glass thing, and he was like, "Oh, you can't be a cop these days. You can't do this. It's not like it used to be. You know, back then it was real police work. Now it's just this and that." And he tells him like, "I had a dream, and this happens to you." I'm pretty sure that's it. We can sit here and argue about it. Yeah, pretty sure that's in the dream sequence. Hmm. Because he's. I thought it was when his dad, like, had lucidly told like him. He's, like, back, you know, basically consumed in darkness, and he's like, you know, I see you. You're in the tall trees. They cut you down. I swear it's in that sequence. But anyways, that never really gets touched on again. And again, I feel like if we had just made it Velcoro and Bezzarides, you could have also paralleled it with, like, her recollections of her past. Mm-hmm. While he's also, you know, reckoning with the choices he's made in his past. And you get that kind of multiple timeline thing where maybe we do dip back into, you know, stuff we haven't seen yet. As opposed to everything being in the present narrative. Even though a lot of it concerns, like, 92. I guess that's another question I have for you is how much do you think the show benefits from being set present day? Versus, do you wish it was, like, set in a time and place? Like, what if it was in the 90s, like, at the height of, you know, the L.A. riots going on in the background, and this is happening, you know, a little further upstate? How much do you think that would, like, retroactively inform the narrative or could have informed the narrative? Well, I mean, I think you could definitely play that like that part because I mean that is the crucial part of you know why Ben Casper's killed I don't but know why, why we couldn't have seen why don't you that? open with that it, why don't you open with that robbery and you realize and we're that, trying to figure out how like, and you just shoot that going to become relevant well, well yeah, yeah you just shoot it from the the kids perspective you just have them hiding and you can hear the riots start. You, you pan in with the riots. Then you have them hiding eyes you know in whatever and you can hear everything that's going on and you know, she, um, you know, she does whatever, you know, everything happens and then that's it. And then you start the show, like you keep it the same way it is, but you have that framework of this is from our past. This happened. It will become relevant present day and it will shape the future from where we're going to go present day to a point where, you know, it, you know, it could have more relevance, but that's getting to a point that I want to talk about, which is one of the things I've taken away from this is that this it, it doesn't matter. It <laughs> nothing matters. That's the that's the beauty of it. So one of the things I asked you to talk about think about was who doesn't belong here. Okay. Yeah. Of the four leads, who doesn't belong here? I said Woodrow. No, no, no. Woodrow, Bezzarides, and Velcoro, they belong here. Vince Vaughn doesn't. Well, yeah, because he's not a detective. No, no, not because he's not a detective. <laughs> Those three are the three worst that their departments have to offer. So you're asking the three losers, the three ones that can't get it right, the burnout, the feminist one that nobody takes seriously, the repressed gay guy on the, or that has PTSD. You're asking those three people to solve this murder that holds great implications for 
the rest of the city council. They ha he has money, he has land deeds, all these different things that you know they need. Frank is the one that doesn't belong because he's at the top of his game. He has no reason whatsoever to get back involved with this. The land deal doesn't go through. Okay, you don't get to be as rich as you are. But he could still do what he does, get out of the game, and be done with it. But this land deal and Casper, that drags him back in, essentially. But he doesn't have to be there. He is already at the top of his game. He's got the clubs. He's worked his way up. He tells you how he's worked his way up. And you see how he's worked his way up with his fists. He doesn't belong there. The show should be about these three inept, like like I said, the bottom of They don't really come across as that because you, you sit with them. You go, okay, they're all right. But when you look at it in a broad spectrum, they pick the three worst of their divisions, essentially, to try and solve this thing. Why do they do it? Well, they had an interest that it might not need to be solved. Why? Because it would implicate all this other shit. Because they're all thinking, well, Casper was hit because of this land deal. It never comes to anybody's mind that Casper was hit and murdered because it's the children of the family that he and several other high-ranking officials in the government now murdered and stole diamonds from back in the riots. No one ever thinks it's that. And that's the beauty of it. It, it doesn't matter. Why was Ben Casper killed? Ultimately, at the end, it doesn't matter. That initial investigation that's supposed to frame the show, by the time you get to the resolve of it, you could care less about it. Because at that point, you realize... Like I said with her, she says, had he not been murdered, none of this would have, like, you know, this, his murder sparked all this. That's why all this is coming up now. You know, the Russians getting in on the land deal, them squeezing out everything for the corridor, the Jasani family trying to become a dynasty, all that different stuff. That all goes by the wayside. I mean, you know, that all comes to the forefront because Ben Casper's murder goes by, just fades into obscurity. They frame, they, you know, at the end, they frame Velcoro as a cop killer. You know, Woodrow is a hero for tragically dying the way he did. And Bezerides is just never heard from again, you know. But that that's why that's just my 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 theory, my idea behind it. And I know I've stated the ultimate thing as to why, you know, why the season is the way it is on other podcasts. But I can go through that quickly at the end. But that's just why that's why I was asking you think of it in terms of like who doesn't belong because of that. And you can tie in the masculinity of it, too, of, you know, you have Ray, who is the ultimate, you know, masculine detective dude. You have Woodrow, who's the homo repressed masculine guy. You have Frank, who is the aging, older, like, on the way out kind of guy. And then Bezzarides, the feminist, who has to interact and deal in these worlds while not losing her autonomy in herself, but still being able to, like, do her job the way that she has to by any means, mm -hmm. whether it's you know, knives and, you know, being able to stand up for herself or dealing with all the, you know, allegations of sexual misconduct, all that different shit. So. All right. Yeah. Okay. What, 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 what else do <laughs> you think we ought to get into? I, it, you're, it's, you're asking me the questions, I'm asking man. you the questions? Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so, um, go ahead and just give me your favorite sequence then. I'm tempted to say the party sequence, but I have my issues with it. Again, part of it's just how it's edited in general. Yeah. I'm also tempted to say Colin Farrell confronting 
his son's bully's oh father. Oh, my God, dude. Just for sheer, like... The dialogue. What are we watching here? Yeah. <laughs> Did he just say that to a 12-year-old? Um, yeah. I'm also tempted to say the very final scene with Ray, where <laughs> he gets gunned down, and we also pan over and see... That is final voicemail didn't send to his son. Yeah. And it's just like, hey, hey, we already got you down on the ground. We're just going to fucking like kick you in the stomach mm-hmm. a couple times while you're down there. Uh, that was rough. How everything plays out with him and like finding the tracker and all of that stuff. Uh, After that immense high of like him saluting his son and his son like doing it back. And he's just like, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, fuck. They got me. They found me. And uh, Woodrow taking down the entire team, like... Essentially. Down yeah. in the tunnels. Uh, also another sequence that I wish was just a single take. Yeah, that would have been dope. I, I know they can't do it for everything, but it's like, how cool would that have been? Mm-hmm. Like, you just shoot it with one one flashlight. One or two flashlights. But awesome. Anyways, uh, yeah, I don't know that I have, like, a single favorite like standout sequence in the way that season one has like everybody's gonna say episode four of course yeah uh so yeah do do what's yours i it's it's cut in between but from the time simeon starts walking in the desert to the end of that sequence with him that's probably one of my favorite ones i do love how everything wraps up yeah yeah as bad as it is but you get to see all these things as hallucinations and the beauty of like, that's right. I'll be there. And she's like, Oh, he quit walking way back there. And he looks and sees and realizes I'm, I'm having an out of body. Like I'm, I mean, you could essentially argue like, Oh, that is his soul still going, but it's, you know, the idea that in your head you're moving and doing this. It's like, no, you're, you died back here. You didn't make it as far as you thought. I don't know if it's that I'd like made my peace with, uh, some of the dialogue choices as far as Frank was concerned going into it. Mm Mm-hmm. But I felt like I just got it more or got the vibe that he was going for. And it didn't bug me nearly as much. And I came away thinking, I was like, you know, I thought he was good the first go around. But I think he really got short shrift. Like a lot of people really harped on this performance in particular. And I just don't see it. I think he's fantastic in it. Given what he's, you know, what he's given to do. And it's a nice, like, gradual build. Mm-hmm. Because you see him like, you know, I'm trying not to be, trying not to be a, like a street level gangster. I'm trying to go legit. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, you know, be a new man. And there's, I think it's like episode three or four, um, where he starts boxing, dude, and takes on a guy who's like three or four times his size, but doesn't have the height or the reach my, on him. My favorite is, you can just, leave your rings on. That's okay. Yeah. Won't be necessary. <laughs> yeah. Not going to bother me. Um, amazing dude a precursor to what is the real vonnaissance if you will which is braun cell block 99 so that was what i was convincingly say. like destroys like people everybody he comes across he's just like a beast of a man in that movie yeah and like legit terrifying yeah seeing yeah. him in that i think in the interim i was like okay i get it this is what like, I love that character to begin with, but when I went back, knowing where Vince Vaughn was going in terms of, like, that movie and some other stuff, it was like, hey, 
I'm thinking Frank's going to be like a, like a, a knockout. And like I'm watching it again, everything that happens with the another really other good one I like is the confrontation where he comes to his house and they both kind of have oh, guns yeah, the on them. Sit down. And the sit down, that say, was actually pretty, pretty good. If I had to pick a favorite, it is honestly, it's probably either that, that brec- awkward breakfast scene. Yes. Or pretty much any time that they spend in the booth at the bar. Yeah. Uh, any of those scenes. Those are kind of the car sequences of season two, if you will. Yeah. Uh, the stand-ins where we're like, we get... And I know people cut together memes where it was literally just like, you know, people just staring for extended period. Colin Farrell just like staring into camera for extended periods of time where they would like loop the footage and shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's not that bad when you're watching the episode. Like people, people were harping on it, but there's... There's a lot there, man. I like. I love the lighting in those sequences too. It's the most moody. You've got uh, what is it? Is it Vera, Lyra Lynn or Vera Lynn? I think it's Vera Lynn. I'm not sure. I think it might be Lyra. Maybe it's Lyra. Anyways, what we definitely hear some music from her on the tail end of this, but uh, all of those really work for me. But yeah, if we had to pick one, maybe it's the breakfast tip breakfast table sequence yeah I, I i do like the interactions between him and woodrow like after his bike gets towed or stolen or whatever and then after like the two of them together because i never put it together the first go around that a lot of the the uh, ultimate course that takes him ray down is directly influenced by woodrow woodrow is the reason that that uh ray velcoro beats his in the way he does because he feels when he finds out what happens to Woodrow, when, you know Woodrow call Woodrow calls him and says, "Hey, I think I'm walking into something." He said, "Well, call me back." Okay, I got this or whatever, and he never hears from him again. And in that sequence, him and Bezarides get together, mm-hmm. and I love the way that is shot because it shows like the kind of before ending and after, and it's like afterwards looks like it's such a horrible thing. Like they're just they had this moment and then they're back to what they were, and it was just like where they where they've where they were to begin with, with all the shit that's going on and them not being able to trust mm-hmm. who they, they're, you know, the lady that actually brought them back from all this has been murdered by, you know. And at that point, they are, in, you know, in quotes, they're the only two people left on the planet as far as they're concerned. Yeah. It's like they, they have no life beyond this. At yeah, this, this is as good yeah. as it's going to get. But when Frank offers them the opportunity to like, you know, hey, we can. I need your help. We can do this. We can get a ton of money. He was like, I owe it for Woodrow. I Woodrow. I need to do this for him. Like he was the best of us. And I like all of that stuff, and that's what really sells me on Woodrow as a character in general, and why I like. As much as I'm saying, oh, you could just cut him out, and you have a way better season. I I still love the season we got. And yeah. I, like, given all of its flaws, going back through it, I was like, I actually really like. It's not as perfectly balanced as maybe it could have been, and I, I would have liked to spend more time with certain characters, but that's not necessarily well, a bad feeling to have from a show of, like... Do you know when HBO Go, HBO Now, when that was when that became a thing? Was that for, was season one all there for that? Or did it start after season one aired? Their I'm streaming pretty, service. Their streaming service, I'm pretty sure, had been around for... A bit before that. Well, because I'm just wondering because I feel like the way and we just this is just a theory, the way that season one is written, and I think it does lend a lot to the fact that there is a single vision. There is one director. There's not multiple ones. Um, the way that season one is written and the way it pans out, it's hinged on and does a good job of like, 
oh, here we go. We're ramping it up right at the end because I got to get ready for next week's. Whereas this one, I think you could have even done, I know they, they won't because it's subscription-based. They have to have people come back every week, at least two months of, of paying for it. But you could have put this out as a binge show well, on HBO. That was not the thing at all. It wasn't at the at time. At the time. Yeah, at the time. But I'm saying, I don't know if the streaming service was there, but the way it was written, it definitely, season one plays for you to be able to come back every week and want to know what happens. Because of the way that the episodes pan out, what happens, with the exception of the end of two and the end of four, and, you know, the, the, See, the, I, the, well, the yeah. Bohemian Grove one, there's not that many that make you think, I was gonna, oh, shit, I need to come back next week. Two it's and four, like, I agree with the Bohemian Grove one, I don't, because it's like, it's just a quick edit. It's just like, take off that line. You do not need what you're saying, that contract's line, which just puts it out on such a, like, anti-climactic note. It's a yeah. terrible line. I laugh at it every time I hear it. Mm-hmm. Um and then this like rock music kicks in on the end, and it's like, no, it should just be a badass. They speed out of there. You don't need any dialogue with them in the car. All you need is Bezzeriti saying, I think I killed somebody. Which she does say in that scene, and then boom, yeah, credits kick in. Or better yet, she says, I think I killed somebody. And Woodrow's like, I said not to use your knives. Because literally the scene before, he's like, try not to knife anybody. Yeah. And guess what? She ends up knifing somebody. <laughs> Two people, actually. I said not to use... Yeah, and the way she Come does on, it to dude, the... That would have been so much more of a badass response than... Contracts. Signatures all over them. <gasps> Just say it. Yeah, but I, yeah, but I mean, in the greater context, it's like, oh, these signatures tell us who involved, who's involved with all of this. Who's I, on the... I understand what he means. Yeah. But it is a terrible scripted yeah. line to force on any actor... To sell that as a stinger to an episode. It is even repeated in the next episode. The same line. Really? Yes, it is the very next episode. (laughs) Okay. Favorite. Do you want to do favorite one-liners? Yeah. Any of those? I got a few. I love Frank talking to Stan's kid. You want to talk about Stan for a little bit? Oh, dude. Stan, man. (laughs) One of the articles I read the was by the time you yeah. by the time you get to you're like who the fuck is Stan yeah. and like what the hell's going on with but this guy? But when you're watching it in a binge, you're like fucking Stan, yeah, man. Yeah. He was in a like he had his eyes yeah. burnt out a couple episodes back. Yeah. But when you're watching it week to week and it's a peripheral character who doesn't have a single line of dialogue, you're like, what? What? It's almost okay. Total side note, but kind of related. Just started rewatching Twin Peaks: The Return again. Mm-hmm. And I just, dude, I forgot how much I love. They just like basically troll the audience in the first episode with the amount of like character names that they keep spouting off that you don't know. Where it's like, wait, is this person gonna be important? Is this person gonna be important? Like all the stuff in Buckhorn mm-hmm. when they find the body and everything in the bed, but that whole interaction of like getting the keys to open the door and all of that stuff. And they must say, seriously, like, oh, yeah, I'm looking for Frank. Oh, he's out back with Chuck. Or, like, what, you know, it goes on and on. And you're like, what What the hell am I watching? I don't know any of these characters. Why are we in South Dakota? And it just, like, completely fucks with you. What are you looking up? I'm just looking up some of my favorite lines from Ray Velcro. Oh, okay. Uh, I love Frank 
withstands kid though uh the whole you know what you got inside of you it's pure gold kid yeah pure solid gold uh i i do and don't want to do the velcro line on mike what the the one about like alf come back here and i'll buttfuck your father with your mother's headless corpse 12 years old Fuck you. I love how his accent changes in different stuff so much you back and what? forth. I love you, it. People can talk all the shit they want about it. Colin Farrell is one of... You know what? That's what we're turning this into right now. Let's talk about Colin Farrell for a bit. I want to talk about how you feel about him as an actor. Mm-hmm. I want to possibly eventually get some feedback. Uh, RQV at gmail.com. Or shout out us on Instagram, V network or excuse me at the archive network on twitter at the archive and on facebook because gavin's actually does some stuff for it every once in a while you can find us the archive i do before you do that i do love the frank simi line um well that's one for the bucket list a mexican standoff with actual, actual mexicans, mexicans. <laughs> that's fucking ridiculous yeah. yeah so colin farrell what do you want to know what i think about him i yeah and just like because I kind of, I take issue with the fact that his casting and Vince Vaughn's casting was seen as like this major step down in advance of season two, where it was like, oh, that's the only people they could get. Like, they just had McConaughey and Harrelson. And it's like... They weren't McConaughey and Harrelson when you saw them. Like, yes, they were names, they were big actors, but like the McConaissance and all that stuff... By the time you're and, looking at and, season two, and people like all this Woody, other stuff, just yeah. in general, and pretty yeah. much everything, he always has goodwill towards people, and both of those guys do. But yeah, I just I kind of took issue with how much people seem to have this sentiment that like that was a step down because I've always been an enormous Colin Farrell fan. I think he's one of the best actors of his generation, and I think he's even more interesting because you. I want to chart his career with you real quick. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just look at the filmography. Because there is clearly a point where he could have just been a, you know, a big leading man type, and he's just consistently always decided to go the other way. So Tigerland is the thing that, like, Broken Big, the Schumacher indie movie. He does American Outlaws right afterwards, which I still have never seen. Okay? I know you're a fan, even though it got terrible reviews. He has Phone Booth, also with Schumacher. Mm-hmm. It's actually like a pretty big hit. Playing second fiddle to none other than Mr. Tom Cruise for Mr. Steven Spielberg in Minority Report. Great villain. Mm-hmm. Like he's you know he's on track, right? Hearts War. Mm-hmm. Recruit working with Pacino. Okay, still a fun movie if you ask me. Daredevil doing superheroes right when they were becoming big again. Supporting role in Veronica Guerin, which is actually really memorable if you've ever seen that movie. And then he's the lead in SWAT. It could be an old school TV franchise, action movie. You can do this. You're an action guy, right? Okay. But then at the same time, right around the same year, he does Intermission, which is an ensemble, great little indie, like, I think it's British, British indie movie, uh, Home at the End of the World. And then he has Alexander, which is a huge flop. Okay. And I feel like he kind of, after that, intentionally is just like, I'm just going to work with like, people i want to work with and i'm not gonna like chase anything because you don't i can't name other than like horrible bosses 
and maybe Fright Night and Total Recall, which are all done like right back to back. It's like he was, oh, I'll make another go at maybe trying to be a little more mainstream. Mm -hmm. But all, I mean, he's a blast in Horrible Bosses. Yeah. He's great in Fright Night. Perfect. I never saw the Total Recall remake. I tried. It was the last movie I, well, I say that, but it's what kept me away from the beacon for two years because uh, about halfway through it, it cut off, came back on. Then about maybe 20 minutes later, it cut off, and they came in like, they're not uh, they're not going to turn it back on and fix it tonight. They'll just give you your money back. And I was like, fuck this. <laughs> so I have to think and, that it was probably terrible, okay. but I don't know. And to be fair, like in the like the downtime, if you will, after Alexander is to, to me when he starts making some of his most interesting work, which he had The New World in 2005, Terrence Malick movie. Yeah. Miami Vice, which I will ride or die for. No, that, that is the quintessential. That is my That's favorite the fucking Velcoro thing too. he has Vel- ever done. Velcoro is like base- basically the you know, bad side of Sonny Crockett. Crockett burnt like, out. Yeah, after burnt years out. Exactly, yeah. dude. Okay. Um, could you do a true detective in Miami? And he, do you think you honestly think you could do a true detective in Miami? It'll it'll happen if the if season three goes well. Eventually, we will get to a season set. In but Miami. what time frame? They should definitely make it like Scarface era no, 80s. Like, no, no, like what? 70s, right before Dade Land shootout. Okay. And they're tracking this guy who's been like, and he's like, oh, who is he? He's like fucking, it's not uh, Riverita, but like it could just be this random like cartel assassin that's murdering all these people around like the nice neighborhoods in Dade County for either the Godmother or uh, Escobar. And it's just these two, like, detectives trying to track him down. Like, the real Miami Vice, not the flashy shit. Like, the actual, like, street nose, like, fucking... That would be a great season of True Detective. Take it out to, like... Or you could you could even bring back the crazy Cajun uh, Carcosa voodoo shit with, like, something in the swamp in the Everglades. It's like this old Native American Creole fucking I nature. I am semi-curious if we'll ever get to a point where we touch the narrative... Like, one of the conspiracies touches one of the other conspiracies from a prior season, if that oh, makes God. sense. That would be dope. Because, again, I'm still gunning for, at at some point, you know, the surviving detectives of each season have to band together to, like, take down somebody. That could be really cool. And all you, you know what? Maybe one of those. Which is sig- why I wish they hadn't killed off Velcoro, because can you imagine just him interacting with Russ Cole? Yeah. Like, but- the two of them. I don't even know how you would write something like that, but go ahead. Well, just imagine that one of those contracts with signatures all over them, <laughs> one of them, Billy Lee Tuttle. Yeah. Boom. That's sure. it. That's your thread right there. I just there. would have liked to have seen that, maybe. Yeah. Just, like, thrown away. Not that they have to be connected. Real quick, let me finish up on Colin Farrell. So you say Miami Vice. That's, that's like my end-all be-all with him, dude. I mean, he's other, done great other and great stuff. Bruges is up there, which also kind of, like, perked him back up in everybody, or at least... Critically speaking, everybody was on board with that one. Um, I might have to go The Lobster, dude. I mean, The Lobster is one of my favorite movies ever, and also, I mean, definitely of the last decade. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, tempted to go with that. But you could do a lot worse than Miami Vice. Teaser for an eventual show. Man, that's gonna Monday. We don't have a title yet. Mondays on Man? But Man on Mondays? I... I do want to pitch you one right now. Okay. The Farrell cast. Uh-huh. Where we pit the films of Will Farrell and Colin Farrell. Yeah. Yeah. That works. I want to pitch you on one real quick, okay? 
So, you love David Lynch, and I love Michael Bay. So why don't we pit both of their filmographies together? Yeah. And we just talk about them. I mean, I'm thinking like Dune and Armageddon are going to line up. I think Bad Boys is in, uh, uh, was it um, Eraserhead? I think Bad Boys and Eraserhead line up too. That would be correct. That would be great. I think we could do that. That's actually a great teaser. Thank yeah. you very much, Gavin. Uh, <laughs> January 1st <laughs> on the movie arc, you can listen to Bay of Lynch, episode one. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start rebroadcasting it. And eventually, when we get to that episode three, that'll be new. But yeah, I'm going to start rolling them back out there. Yeah. But we're just going to drop that feed and move it over to the movie arc where we got the most. Just do it. Most ears. It'll make it easy. We'll just run it as a series on there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's starting in January. If anybody actually cares or wants to listen to it, we'll find out. But Are we're we... going to do it. We're going to finish that series. Do we need to read? Should we like read? redo the first two or you just leave the first two what they are we're gonna leave them they're perfect okay yeah they're some of my favorite things we've ever done oh them yeah i mean like the first man the bad boys one was dope especially that music i know i talk about it way too much but still it was great yeah no i'm literally just like first week in january we'll we'll post episode one then we'll wait a week post episode two buy us some time you know yeah which is what we originally started out trying to do. I get it. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. we will do that. We're committing to it right now here on the TV arc. But that's our new, to that that's our new Year's resolution. Exactly. <laughs> it's still Christmas, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the whole point of this episode? Exactly. I don't know what kind of gift we gave anybody. Uh, I feel like we've just been rambling. And well, if, if you're not a fan of season two, I don't know that we would have convinced anybody. Yeah. But you know what? It's just like Velcoro says... I'm under the suspicion we get the world we deserve. So if you if 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 you're listening to this and you took something from it, you got what you deserve. If you listen to this and you fucking hate it, guess what? You got the world you deserved. That's all that matters. Because again, like I've said before, well, the biggest what? swindle what? in California history came when the rubber industries came and bought up all the public transportation and forced people to buy tires. And no but by building Massive freeways instead of free public transportation back and forth. And nobody batted an eye. And that's why a couple years ago they were worried about Carmageddon. That's why there's SNL jokes about... Literally the third time you have stated this. Third time is the fucking charm. Because I'm not going to talk about it ever again. Okay? But that's why there's Californian jokes about traffic. That we got the season two we deserved. Yeah. And the audience got the podcast that they deserved. Oh, no, I believe you. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's a terrible joke. But, yes, no. you get you, you, We get the world we deserve. So, thinking of that, everybody, throughout what they've done in, in that show, got what they deserved. For sure. Uh, do you want to talk about, like, favorite supporting performances or any, any stuff like that? Any categories that we touched on first episode? The kid who is the overall, uh, the younger boy grown up that actually killed Ben Casper, where is he from? I've seen the face before. Not a standout for me. Yeah. uh, I just recognize his face. And I was thinking like... um, Fred Ward's a nice addition. Yeah. I wish we got more of him again, you know. What about uh, old uh, cameraman as the detective that like was in on it? W.E. Earl Brown? McGraw? No. What? What do I know him from? 
W.E. Earl Brown? Yeah. Kenny. Kenny the cameraman. Yeah, that's why. That is him, right? I'm not, th- I'm not thinking wrong. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, you know him from billions of things, dude. Yeah. Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Never you seen it. watch Deadwood. You need to watch Deadwood. Uh, Deadwood movie, hopefully coming out this year. Should catch up. Should definitely do that. I've been so that I, if we we're gonna talk TV series, I was gonna tell you I started watching Westworld, finally. So hopefully I can get to season two soon. <laughs> Wait, you started watching season one? Yeah, I didn't watch season one when it first came out. Okay, well, yeah, let me know when you get to season two. What do you, is it? Something I should know? Let's just say it's not gonna be on my top ten of this year. Oh, okay, all right. Might be on my ten worst. Oh, okay. <laughs> Huge. Huge disappointment. But I'll be back for season three. I will. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Don't get your hopes up. But season one is incredible. Truly okay, incredible. Good. I mean, it, the first episode looked amazing. It's great, dude. It's great. Well, that's good. Okay. Uh, anybody else you wanted to shout out? I was trying to figure out who the hell that kid was that, that, that did all that. Um... Let's see. I like. I, really, uh, I I don't know the actor's name. Maybe you have it in front of you. But no, I'm I trying to find his name. I guess my biggest one is I would vote for more Elvis. Yes, there should have been more Elvis in season two. Um, more Dave. I like David Morris. I think he's there. You know, I don't know if you can like pull him back to somebody from the first season, but I definitely think he does a good job, and you could warrant more from him. I don't really necessarily dig all the vibes of her and her sister. That didn't really play as much for me. Which, again, if you had more time to set up her family dynamic and all of that stuff beyond just, like, one scene in the first episode um, where everything has to be very heavy-handed and spelled out for you mm-hmm. because you got to communicate a lot very quickly, uh, I think that could have played a little bit better. But, yeah, her and her sister is a little bit of a weak point because, again, I feel like there's not a lot of follow-through on, like, their dynamic and her issues and how they played into the greater plot, like, and her being forced into that situation. Yeah. It's like, yes, that it is this, like, emotional awakening for her and, it, like, triggers her memory and she's able to deal with, like, some past trauma in a way that maybe she hasn't been able to address and kind of see, like, why she's been the way she is for so long. But I don't want to say it doesn't feel, or it feels unearned because, I mean, she's... Rachel McAdams is a standout in this season as well. Like, all the performances, given what the dialogue that they have to deal with and the story they are telling, I feel like everybody's given 110%. Nobody's phoning it in. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I liked... um, We didn't really talk about two people I think we should mention. Um, I don't know if you know... uh, Well, you were the one that showed me, but... uh, Fucking Rick Springfield as the oh, yeah. doctor that was mention, patching up uh, all the, because there, again there's so much different convoluted shit you don't even Dr. think about Pittler. like yeah Pitler yeah you don't think about like oh he was Ben Casper bring him women he would do the surgeries then he would supply them to this dude who would take them to the Bohemian Grove thing there's so much shit him and Blake Blake like double Blake crossing for being such an incredibly important character yeah yeah he's so background my favorite is like he's like frank i could work for you on the inside i could do this he goes do this for me pop out and just like shoots him oh, in dude, the when chest he smashes him in the face with the glass that whole sequence was like what is it like yeah nikki stick wanted you to 
You, you were you selling bleed out when I found you. When I found you, you were selling baby aspirin to the club kids. Nikki C wanted wanted me to let you bleed out, but I saw something in you. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, now yeah. look at you. You just shit my carpet. You just shit my carpet. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, his some of the shit he comes up. I love that he has this whole, and I've said it before. There's this whole speech to talking about to talking to the Russian Osip. Like, you know, it may not be today. Oh, it may be the other day, but you know, whatever. Dude, no. Okay, never mind. Retroactively, that's the sequence, dude. Yeah. When it's like, it's like, Ray, I need you. Like, you want money, right? Like, we're we're getting away, but you, you gotta have money cash, to run right? with. Yeah, gotta go take down these Russians. Just two of us. They're out in his cabin, the steel's going down. And you see them roll up with, like, all black, got the gas mask ready to go. Just, like, take out one guard outside. Boom, start tear gassing the place. He goes in, but yeah, you can do your thing. I'm sorry, I don't want to No, no, when he when he comes in and he just takes the mask and goes, Oh, I guess I was wrong. I guess it it's is, today. I guess it is today. It is, I guess it is today. <laughs> and he makes it a point to pull out a pistol and shoot him in the face. That's just brilliant. I mean... Because you, if you get the whole line of him building up all this shit, and you're like, all right, he's taking one of the, he's got to take an L right now. But to be like, 24 hours later, nah, dude, it's today. I'm going to fucking murder you. That, and when he says, do me a favor, look me in the eye. I want to watch your eyes roll back in the back of your head, whatever. I'm like, Frank is a fucking beast, man. And yeah. that is why he doesn't belong there. He is essentially on top of everything. His only mistake being that he burned down his own club which causes the Mexicans to come after him, and that's it, you know? But he doesn't have the... Yes, they could have cut and run way earlier, just the two of them, with, like, limited means and everything, but he needed... He still would have had to get cash somehow. That's the whole thing, because he was cash poor because of the, like, $7 Casper, million yeah. dollar buy-in and all mm-hmm. that. So he was struggling the whole season, like, that's... That's where the whole like on top thing I don't get. It's like he was no, he what no, I'm saying until not, the land deal goes minus bad. the minus the money thing. Like he was respected. People fuck it. Like it's only after people knew that he lost what he lost did people start taking start what they coming could after from him. him. Yeah, the vultures you know? come out. Exactly. As he says I'm pretty sure at some point. Yeah, you know because my and some of my favorite scenes are when he's making arrangements. Like I give you two, I give you this, I give you another, whatever. And they the Russian guys talk to him. And they're like. You know, what are you this and this? He goes, uh, another hundred thousand or whatever when I get where I'm going and you don't tell anybody what's up. And they're like, okay. And they fucking give him up anyways. I don't think they gave him up. I think he. I think the Mexicans gave him up. No, no, no. They, not, the, 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 the Russians gave him up to the Mexicans. No, those were the, those were the, um, those weren't the Russians. Those were like the. Excuse uh, me, the, the, the Serbs or the, the, Serbs, the Croats yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I don't, the other. The Croatians, I the think. The Croatians, whatever, yeah. yeah. No, I think the Mexicans were following him from day one. I think they knew where he was the they entire... They just in the back. They caught him. I well, do... they caught him. Because, I mean, they show up at every place. Like, yes, I think the planned meet with the woman, they were supposed to get her and bring her. But, you know, they knew how to find him at multiple turns without him ever, like, them ever being on his radar. He did not give a shit about what was going to happen yeah. with them. And it's kind of like, it's always the one that, like, it's a new player in town, you don't see coming, but... I don't, I mean, had we been given a scene where they like kind of like as soon as he drives out, you see one look at the other and they pick up the phone and they dial, then yeah, okay, he gave him up. But I don't, I just think the Mexicans had been aware of him mm-hmm. and they knew, okay, he's doing, he's making these moves, he's going around, we see him. Same way as like, you know, we never saw anybody following Colin Farrell. 
until the till he parks and then you see the SUV roll up. Yeah, I also maybe would have liked a little more of that, especially as the conspiracy builds and everything throughout the season of just like the natural paranoia, which you get a good bit of with them being like holed up in the cabin and everything yeah. in the last couple episodes. But yeah. So again, we're sitting here talking about it and like I can point out all these flaws, but like I still enjoyed going through it like yeah. this most recent time. And now I am more inspired to like i'll watch one and two back to back probably Mm -hmm. instead of just watching one over and over again uh i'm hoping season three strikes a nice balance between these two seasons and it seems like it is zeroing in the focus where it's like no we're just telling the story of marshall ali's character and everything else is gonna be kind of secondary yeah um so i think we'll have another detective but i i don't think steven dorf is gonna you won't have any idea. I don't idea. think he's going to be the Marty to, you know, to Rust. I think he'll the, just be there for that specific time period. I'd love to jump from, like, here's when I met cool my partner, yeah, here's he after is. my partner left or after my partner was killed for whatever reason, and I'm left to deal with it. Or you could even, hell, you could even do that. You could be like, this guy has I'm, multiple big-named like partners throughout his years. It's not just Stephen Dorff. It's other people that are dope. Here's the cases he was involved in, and he's ruminating on, like, did I do something wrong as a detective, as a cop that got my partner killed? What happened here? Maybe just like I mean, one or two, because I feel like no, after no, three I mean, dead partners, people are going to start looking at you weird and IA is going to come investigate okay. you. Okay. The one thing I will say based on, because I've been trying to stay pretty much spoiler free, but the one thing I have read in terms of Pizzolatto's comments is that he thinks it is a much more hopeful season uh, than two. Oh, God. Which okay, I'm good. at least glad to see. And Thank he God. said... I don't even know that you can consider it noir with where it goes. Hmm. Again, he said cryptic shit in the past. Like he said, season two was all about the secret occult history of the California railway system. And it's like, didn't really quite come to where we thought it would. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as important an element or like the focus of it. So, yeah, because it's just, he could, he could go full on. H.P. Lovecraft, and like, yeah. there's Cthulhu monsters in season three. Who knows? That'd be great. Probably not. But I mean, happen. I think when <laughs> I we when you're when you're talking about it and you break it all down, you can sum up true, season two of True Detective. I think when, with having three coming along, when you when people talk about season two, they can sum it up perfectly with the theme song. I had a name, but never mind. Like that's <laughs> it. Like. Oh, you wanted these people to be your detective? Yeah, I had a name, but never mind. Colin Farrell did it. I will also say, we literally, we don't have to go line by line, but one thing I did do, because I thought we were going to record this a couple nights ago, um, was I sat and watched, there's a lyrics video with footage from uh, season one and season two that somebody cut together. Uh, And it has everything and it was the first time i listened to it start to finish in a long time because mm-hmm. you know you hear the little segments of it in the opening credits and like the lyrics actually change or they use like different verses different verses across the season yeah but listening to it start to finish i was like okay so did hbo come to him and they're like hey nick we need another season right now like you got to start writing right now and he's like oh shit I can't say no. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll totally get it to you. Yep. Yeah, next week. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. I can do mm-hmm. that. Gets in his car. Driving home. Leonard Cohen comes over and he's like, 
I'm just gonna make an entire season about this song because I swear to God, there is so. It's one of those things where I'm like, there's no way that you just like found decided after the fact that this, that song this was work. gonna be something you would use. There's no fucking way. Like, it is so seemingly like intrinsically tied to every every single line parallels something that happens in the course of the season oh yeah and i was kind of blown away by that and i was like I, yeah holy shit so everybody that wants to hate on that song i, I know a lot song. of people hate the intro music that was one of the first things that turned people off they were like oh this is nowhere near as good as the first one like what the hell why did they keep the same intro music and i'm like because it's a different vibe because it's a completely different story mm-hmm. yeah but I, I love it. We're not going to close with that. No, we open with it. Because we opened with it. But we will close with some uh, uh, Lyra Lynn. I hope I'm getting it right. I or you could just play Tim Capello's it. Tequila. No, that's not how we're going to okay. do this. Okay. We're going to go out on a super dour, somber note. Because okay. it's Christmas, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you want to play again, that Charlie Brown Christmas song? Christmas yeah, yeah. The sad one. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh I guess, yeah, you can roll us out, man. This was your okay. episode. Okay, well, Go yeah, this it. was kind of sort of my episode, hopefully. So uh, blame all of it on Gavin. Yes, gingerbeardman with two ends on Instagram, Bro on Twitter, um, gmail.com if you liked it. If you hated it, uh, you can, well, you can tell Noah, too. It doesn't matter to me. Real quick, sorry. While we're going around... Tis the season of giving. We've had some very giving fans. And yes. we haven't stopped to actually thank all of these people yes. in one fell swoop. We want to send a big shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Yes, thank okay, you guys so much. Who have been supporting since we launched in October. Those subscribers include... Do we really have to say the names? Did we ask them if they want our name, their names put out there? Okay. If you're a Patreon supporter and you want your name put out there, send us an email because Noah loves emails. Well, I did include in the tiers that they would get a shout out. Yeah, but like, like, are you just going to say their first names? Sure. What does it matter? I mean, if you say both their names, somebody can look them up and like find them and whatnot. It's a little thing called anonymity. Thank you very much to everyone who has supported our Patreon (laughs) thus far. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon subscriber, you can head over to patreon.com slash... The Arc of E, okay? How is this the first episode we've mentioned Patreon on? We've said we've started it, but we have never closed an episode with... That's why I'm trying to do it now, because I finally thought of it. I'm trying to get better about tagging all the stuff. Good job. We don't have ads for the time being, but we do have stuff we can promote of our own stuff. Yes. Okay. Uh... What do we have for him over there, Gavin? Oh, over. Oh, <laughs> what do uh, we have behind uh, door number Patreon? Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe to Noah's many tiers that he set up there. Uh, of course, you can shout out three. It's, it's not three that tiers. Many. It's uh, early access to shows that will be starting in 2018 because this was supposed to be early access, and here we are midway through December, doing it now. Um, but there are several shows that <laughs> are. I don't want you to do this. It's a it's a window. And an opportunity to experience exclusive content from the Archive, uh, including series and episodes. And yes, early access in some cases when we have things banked 
which is not that often because we like to fly by the seat of our pants. But, but yes, that's going another forward New Year's resolution. Into January, the plan is to bank a lot more content and make it available for our Patreon listeners first before it rolls out week to week on our public feed. So if you're into that sort of thing or you want to listen to a giant three-hour, 33-minute, and 33-second episode on the entire Halloween franchise provided by the Brothers Blanchard, you can do that. If you want to listen to the podcast that started it all, Carpenter Revisited, that is the only place that you can do that anymore. It's not available anywhere else except for my laptop, uh, unless you're on Patreon. So you can go check out all those episodes there and stay tuned for a lot more updates coming in January. And again, if you want your names read, I'd be glad to do that. But Gavin, like, just weirded me out. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that. So let With me consent, know. yeah. I mean, you know. Okay. <laughs> All about consent here. The RPG yeah. Network. 110%. Okay. So if you'd like your name shouted out, definitely let us know. Uh, stay tuned here on the TV arc. We do have one more before the year is out. We're going to talk about our top 10 favorite television shows of 2018. Uh, and we just I, got I don't know when it'll be that, out, right? but we'll, we'll get it up before the end of the year. I Definitely. do know that. we still got, what, 10 days or so? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, we got are, 10 days. That's we fine. are pushing time on recording that episode today. Yeah. So probably you'll hear it before the end of the year. Yeah. But you're not going to hear it like tomorrow, day after Christmas. Okay, uh, also, uh, head over to the movie arc and listen to the big year-end episode from the Brothers Blanchard. They've got two little surprises for you, one of which is available right now. Dropped it on Christmas Eve, uh, and that is covering the entire Evil Dead franchise. Originally, it was planned they were going to do each movie individually. Recording schedule fell behind, but you know what? They go the extra mile, and they, I, you know, I told them, I was like, guys... Don't even worry about it. You've done more than enough this year. It's all good. Don't worry about it. You know what they did? They went and did a big sit down and talked about the whole franchise in one episode. You know what they did after that? The home they recorded a Brothers Blanchard year in review. That's what they did. Oh. They talked about everything they've been doing. So you can look forward to that dropping very, very soon. But go listen right now if you want to hear about the Evil Dead franchise. So we're keeping it so holiday-centric here at the Ark of E. Our big output for Christmas, True Detective Season 2, and the Evil Dead franchise. <laughs> it's how we, we do it, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is how <laughs> Okay, are you going to do a proper outro? Yeah, this we is not my show. Outro. Remember, this is not my show. <laughs> this is Gavin's, this is a Gav episode, a Gav episode. of Tuesdays. Yeah. This is Tuesdays with Gav. Tuesdays with Gav. I want to like try and do like a terrible. I just want to try and do like a terrible Ray Valcuro. You can literally me and your brother. You can literally do whatever you want, yeah. and I'm not going to judge it. But we need to wrap this up. I do think one of the most terrible things is that she does find out after all that time. He that is it his was kid. Him. Yeah, oh my god, god it's so funny. Why do you have to bring me back to that? Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh. yeah. I all right. Ray had a rough time. Yeah. Poor Ray, man. Mm-hmm. Rough time. Yeah. All right, well, for this episode of Tuesdays with Gab. Okay, randomly, it was, uh, okay, The Watch, which is part of the Ringer Network. Quick shout out to them. They were doing their TV year interview or whatever, and they were like, you know what we we really need to cultivate? We need to try and get the level of energy on this podcast. We need to have an episode 
that encompasses the Colin Farrell <laughs> Coke bench. Oh my God! <laughs> yes, yes. I forgot about two. that. And dude, they start talking about it. He hits every fucking ring. Chris Ryan is just like, he's grabbing his heart at one point. He's like, he's like, oh my God. He's like on the verge of a heart attack. They're like, but yeah, we need to get that energy into one of our podcasts. I was like, oh God. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That was fucking bad. We don't need to attempt anything of the sort. We've got enough uh, energy just for, yeah. All right, well, I appreciate that. You, I completely forgot about that scene, but yeah, that's bad shit, crazy. So, all right, for this episode of Tuesdays with Noah and Gav, I've been Gav, and I've been Noah, and we will catch back up with you sometime shortly. Have a lovely Christmas, have a great New Year, happy holidays, uh, happy Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah, whatever you are, whatever you celebrate. We here at the Arc of E. We love you, we appreciate you, and we look forward to seeing you in the new year. Mazel tov. That was beautiful. Thanks. I was going to say, um, I mean, not that we have to, but like in early January, do you want to do a season three preview where we speculate further on what we yeah. might want to see? Yeah, I mean, Possibly. I, could actually, I could actually look at look into it and see... Like go from wherever, like maybe you just and I take could sit three down things. and watch literally like all the trailer, dude. Okay, no, we should definitely do that. Okay, you and I, we sit down, we watch all the like promotional material that's come out beforehand. Yeah, all the individual teasers, everything, and we form read our up own on the plot descriptions. And yes, and we each write out like, here are my predictions for season three. Here's what's gonna happen. Who makes it? Who doesn't? And then at the end, when we've watched the entire, we won't talk about, we won't reference it every episode. But at the very end, when we do our episode eight, I guess, I assume it's going to be eight episodes again. When we do that, we're wrapping out the season, we will read back to each other, like, okay, so here's what you thought was going to happen, here's what I thought was going to happen, and go from there. And the winner gets whatever. The winner gets season three on Blu-ray, and maybe that's a good gift, or maybe that's a bad gift. Who knows? We don't know. But you know what, Noah, no matter what, you're going to get the season you deserve. Exactly. Never mind. Never mind. You want it darker? <laughs> we kill the flame. We kill the flame. Waking up is harder than it seems. Wandering through. Small reprieve